welcome back. So as you can see, I'm not in the studio because that was not going to work. And uh, I had some pumpkins that I was going to be using for some FPJ, and I figured I'd let you guys join me. So first off, thank you guys for tuning in, and I can see people are still rolling in for the night. Um, if you guys are not familiar with the Poor Pearls Almanac and you stumbled here by accident, we're a podcast focused on food systems and sustainability. And today we're going to go through the process of um, making fermented fruit juice and what that process entails, why we do it, how it's a much better alternative for fertilizer, what the uh, limitations are if you're buying fruit versus if you, you know, and any questions you guys might have. Theoretically, if you guys wanted to, you can make this along with us, which would be great. Basically, what we need is fruit, brown sugar, a jar, obviously like a knife and a cutting board, um, cotton or paper towel or something like that. And that's that's pretty much it. So it's a really simple, easy process. Scares a lot of people, but we can do it really, really simply. And fortunately, I've got my, my friend Matt here to be my, uh, my voice if I can't text back to you guys as we get going. Hello, hello. What's going on, Matt? So, of course, my dog needs to go outside as I start this, because why wouldn't that happen? So I'm going to jump off camera real quick. You guys can take a look at my fireplace, I guess, and I'll be right back. So I want to show off a couple things. So what does the finished product look like? So right here, this is some apple fermented plant juice. Uh, you can see me make it in a couple weeks when Matt gets the video up. Uh, additionally, I've got some seaweed fermented plant juice. You can see that's like, it's basically like maple syrup. It might actually be a little bit thicker than maple syrup. And when you use it, you're only going to use about one teaspoon per gallon of water that you're treating your plants with. So despite it being like, that, that's not a whole lot. I made this last year and I used it every week. And it basically, I mean, you can kind of see right here, there's a little bit of a line. I used maybe a half an inch of it. So a little bit goes a really long way. All right. So there's a couple different ways you can do this. Um, we're going to be using um, a pumpkin, that a sugar pumpkin that I had extra. Uh, brown sugar, you can use, uh, where is it? Jaggery, if you can get it. Uh, it's a little bit different. It's kind of cool, though. You can see it's, it's pretty hard. This has been sitting out. It's like a slightly harder version of brown sugar, which is good if you're working with like a really watery plant or really watery fruit. So like obviously like, for example, a tomato is going to have a lot more moisture than a pumpkin. Does that mean it has more nutrition? No. So the thought process should be, okay, how do I mitigate the differences in the, the viscosity of the, the fruit that I'm working with? And utilizing different sugars is a really good way to do that. Now, if you're interested in the science behind how all of this works, you can go check out our episode, uh, Abiotic KNF, on wherever you listen to podcasts. 
And in that, I go through a lot of the science of how all this stuff works. What are the chemical reactions going on? What are our goals when we're trying to make this kind of stuff? So when we're working with fruits or plants or whatever you might be working with, so if, if you don't have fruit right now and you've got some plant material, uh, I know most listeners right now are probably in North America, so it's winter, you're not growing anything right now, but if you happen to have stuff, uh, whether it's from a, a cold frame or whatever it might be, you can use that greenery and make what's called fermented plant juice. It's basically the same thing, except it's for a different part of the plant's growth cycle. So what we're making is specifically for when they're in fruiting mode, whether that's a pumpkin that's fruiting into a pumpkin or an apple tree that's fruiting apples. And it's not even necessarily for the whole fruiting season. It's actually just for about the last half of the fruiting season. And um, what you're gonna do when you make this fermented plant juice or fermented fruit juice, so you're gonna take a teaspoon of that, put it in with a gallon of water. You're gonna probably take a teaspoon of something like water soluble calcium and put that in the water. And that's another easy process. We'll probably do one of these lives for. We're also going to put up some content on our YouTube. I actually already have some up on making water soluble calcium out of oyster shells. Uh, and then you're gonna mix it with a vinegar. So here's a vinegar and you can make vinegar out of the leftovers from this process. So what's gonna happen, and uh, I'll walk, uh, talk through it as we do it. You're, we're gonna cut this up, we're gonna weigh it, we're gonna match it equal pounds or equal weight to uh, brown sugar, mix it up really good, put it in a jar, put a little breathable lid on top, let it sit out for four to seven days, drain off the liquid, and this is the liquid. Now, the leftovers from that process, the fruit, the brown sugar, all that stuff that stays in here, that we can add water to in over three or four months, it turns into a vinegar. Now, this right here, this banana vinegar is exactly that. And you can see it's got a nice mother right on the bottom. Uh, this is probably about a year old. And vinegar has a bunch of great properties. I don't want to go into it right now because if this is all new to you, I don't want to dump too much stuff on you. So first things first, you got to cut up some pumpkin. So pumpkin's an interesting one because it's such a big fruit. And uh, let's cut this in. And when we're dealing with like drier fruits, like a pumpkin, um, the general rule is the drier the fruit, the more important it is to cut it kind of small because when we're working with dry fruits, um, you want to make sure all that brown sugar has good surface connection and that uh, osmotic pressure can take place. Obviously, we're not going to use these innards, but we might be able to use them for something else on another day. So I'm just going to scrape these out really quick. Didn't really think about the fact that I would have to deal with the seeds, although it makes a lot of sense. Now, one of the things you'll hear a lot when people start talking about making fermented fruit juice is don't buy plants from the store. You'll say, well, I guess that makes some sense because like they're sprayed with chemicals and all that kind of gross stuff. But there's actually a couple reasons for this. It's not necessarily the chemicals, although they obviously aren't great. Um, but primarily the thing you're concerned about is getting the biology that lives on the fruit. So if we think about it, fruits are kind of like us. They exist on the earth and they're exposed to the elements. 
and they have a relationship with everything around them. So just like washing your hands a ton, it's bad for you because it dries out your skin, but it also kills off the biome on your skin. Um, that, that biome that naturally evolves on you has a certain balance that helps to protect your skin, it has a symbiotic relationship with our body. Now, the same thing happens with fruits. There's tons of stuff in the air that's sitting on your fruit. Now, when you don't have that bacteria, whatever wants to land on it is going to land on it. Now, when we make this fermented fruit juice, we are trying to also not just get the nutrients out of the fruit, but we're also trying to get the bacteria in the proper ratios so that when we apply the fruit back to whatever it is we're, we're uh, spraying it on, whether it's more pumpkins or whatever it might be, that the, the, what we're providing back to the plant has the right bacteria and all the other good stuff so that the, the plant can take advantage of the resources that you're giving it and also to crowd out bad things from taking over and basically causing more, more problems than good. So hopefully that makes sense. But that said, if you don't have access to fresh fruits, like organic, uh, unsprayed, whatever it might be, uh, you know, whatever you can use is still better than nothing. And especially if this is your first time, uh, it's a good learning experience. So like the banana vinegar, obviously in New England, you can see I have a fireplace in the back. Um, bananas are not native. There, there's no way to get natural native bananas here. And that's okay, because for me, that was a, a trial. I've never made the vinegar before and I figured why not? And I was actually doing a, a slide when I didn't need any, um, any fermented plant juice at the time but uh, I was starting to do the uh, story highlights on our Instagram and wanted to make some and kind of showcase that process. So let's uh, put this here for now. I don't think I want to use the whole pumpkin. I think some of this is going to go to the sheep because I don't really need it. Um, I wanted to, I was thinking about it and all my uh, fermented fruit juices are like sweet fruits. So I wanted to start incorporating some non-sweet fruits for my annual garden. Um, well, obviously my apple trees and pear trees and peach trees and figs and mulberries and all that do really well with the um, sweeter fermented plant juices or fermented fruit juices, juices rather. Um, I thought it made a lot of sense to add something that was a little bit different. So I don't need a ton of it, but I do need some of it. So I'll probably end up using about half of this. So hopefully you are, uh, if you're making some as well, going to be cutting along right now. So I'm cutting these about uh, a square inch, half a square inch. Um, so this concoction, uh, generally it's recommended to um, keep one fruit at a time. And like I said, a little bit goes a long way. If you have, if you're using a teaspoon a gallon and you're spraying your leaves, like one, one, uh, one gallon of foliar spray will go like, I'd say half an acre, an acre. Um, so you're talking about one teaspoon an acre a week. So if you've got a, if you're doing this for four weeks, all you really need is four teaspoons. 
Um, you don't have to go crazy with it. You don't need that much. Um, now, if you're using it as a root drench, which is a good option if you're building soils or if you just have a lot of it and you want to use it up because it, it lasts like a year, six months, depends on how you store it. Um, you can refrigerate this, which I highly recommend. With the refrigeration, you should get at least six to nine months. Um, if you're going to super saturate it, which just basically means like you take this fermented product and you add more sugar to it. So basically all the living stuff in it is um, basically turned into like almost jelly uh, without pectin, uh, where everything's basically preserved in that process. You can get it to store basically, as far as I'm concerned, probably indefinitely. Um, so Andy, we have a, uh, we have a question here. Yeah. Uh, can I mix fruits like grapes with veggies, like cherry tomatoes for this concoction? Yeah. So uh, I was trying to answer that in a very long winded way as I tend to do. Uh, <laughs> um, so yeah, you, you, you you're not supposed to, um, technically speaking, the term I hear use is then you're making an enzyme solution and not a fermented plant juice. Um, it's interesting. I saw grapes was on that, um, one of the fruits listed and for whatever reason, grapes are treated as something that shouldn't be, um, used as a, a food or a fertilizer for any other plants, but grapes. I don't know why I can't find an answer why. So I can't, I personally don't care, but I also don't want to tell you, not tell you that. And then if something happens, you're like, well, I guess this product sucks and it's bullshit and blah, blah, blah. Um, I, I have no logical reason why that would be true, but supposedly that's a thing. Uh, it might be due to their um, disease susceptibility. Yeah, it could be. It could They could attract certain pathogens or something like that uh, through their enzymatic you know, structure, profile, whatever it might be. So, yeah, I got this cut up basically down to like half inch cubes. I'm just cutting up some of the bigger ones. If you can try to make sure they're all about the same size, uh, you don't like I said, you don't have to go totally crazy. <laughs> yeah, um, you can use like I said, you can use the grapes. And honestly, if you've got small mason jars, just do separate um, FPJs at the, or FFJs at the same time. You can just have a grape FFJ. And again, if you have three table. Uh, like I don't, not even a quarter cup of FPJ for grapes. Um, do it as a trial. See what happens. See if it works. So yeah, the leaf is different. Where um, if you're making like a fermented plant juice versus a fruit juice, um, if you are, if you have access right now to fresh produce and or uh, fresh uh, greens growing, you can definitely grab the the shoots. The shoots are considered to have less starches, more sugars, and more of the enzymes, the growth hormones, things like that. Uh, and traditionally in Korean natural farming, and um, I'm not sure of how much science has validated this at this point, the idea that like the fast growing hormones exist in the shoots. So that way you can basically harvest them and then apply them to the plant you're trying to treat. Uh, again, that's not something I've seen any evidence, science-based evidence to prove. doesn't mean it's not true. It's just, again, I like to add that addendum so people 
uh, understand where I try to clarify things that have been scientifically proven, like the ability to actually use these products versus some of the other claims that are made about them that, again, may or may not be true. I'm just not able to, to tell you that with certainty. Um, so at this point, hopefully you're mostly cut up. Um, I'll give you another minute and I'm just gonna chop up a couple of little ones here. Um, and uh, you should be basically done cutting unless you're working with something really tough. Now, keep in mind when you're cutting all this stuff, we're gonna add the brown sugar. When you put it in your jar, whatever you're using to um, let this ferment, it's important that you leave some air space. So you wanna have some air circulation to the surface area. Um, generally, the rule of thumb is about two thirds full. Uh, you don't wanna go past two thirds full. Once you start getting closer to that top, you're reducing surface area. Um, also your proportion of content versus surface area starts to uh, grow significantly. So you don't wanna go much further than that. So what you're gonna do, and if you don't have a scale, that's fine. Um, but if you do have a scale, which I do right here, and get that sucker started up, throw, uh, throw your materials right in there. I think I might give the rest of this pumpkin to my sheep. I'm sure they'll love a little treat. I got a seat stuck in here. I'm just trying to pull it out. Hands are slippery now. So I've got 15.7 ounces of pumpkin. So what I'm gonna do is match that with 15.7 ounces of brown sugar. So it's that 30, 31.4, which is what? One pound, 15.4 ounces, right? So add my brown sugar. So it's equal parts. One pound, 15.4 ounces. My wife loves this because then she's like, where'd all the brown sugar go? Don't worry about it. All right, perfect. One pound, point, one pound 15 ounces, 15.4 ounces. So here is the fun slash nasty slash whatever part. So you can see right here, you got your brown sugar, you got your pumpkin. Now what we're gonna do is basically massage this until the sugar turns into a goo. Uh, so hopefully you don't get squeamish about mixing stuff together. It's kind of like making a, making an apple pie, except with different fruit. So you're just gonna keep mixing it up. And this is why if you can cut it into smaller pieces, uh, especially when you're working drier fruits, go for it. And yep, this will create that osmotic pressure, which is exactly what we're looking for to draw out those nutrients. Kind of wish I maybe cut this a little bit smaller. I knew it was gonna be dry, but not as 
It's not mixing as well as I hoped. We'll just keep mixing and see what we get. I hear my dog is mad that I have not given her some pumpkin and brown sugar. She's like sniffing loudly at me. Yeah, you're just gonna keep mixing this. This will take a little bit. It's okay, it's gonna take some time. Don't get panicked if it's not mixing together right away. It'll get there, it always does. So uh, what are people using if anyone's making stuff out there? I know someone said that they were doing some uh, some grapes. Anything else going on out there? Uh, we have someone asking about the uh, the ratios. What um, about... Sorry. Uh, what what exactly about the ratios? Um, just what I guess. What oh, the ratio ratio is. The ratios. It's um equal parts um by weight. So if you weigh out what your fruit is and it's two pounds, that means add two pounds of brown sugar. Now, if you don't, um, now if you don't have a ton of brown sugar, the most important thing to do then is to use all your brown sugar and then weigh out what's left of your fruit so you're not like shit trying to make it work. Um, additionally, if you're working with a particularly um, moist product, you might want to think about uh, what kind of, you know, like I said, you can use a, something like a turbinado sugar or you can use brown sugar. Generally, people don't recommend using a white sugar or uh, even like a raw sugar, although like you can. Um, it's just the, the thing is with brown sugar, you've added the molasses back in, which has, has a lot of like nutritional value and uh, those uh, phytochemicals and all that good stuff. Um, if you're working with, if you don't have the, a scale, you can just kind of eyeball it. The key thing is to make sure you have enough brown sugar. You're better off going with a little bit more brown sugar than not enough. Uh, you're gonna end up with a much better product and your risk of having problems is gonna be lower. Um, tomatoes is a good one. I've never, I, I don't do a whole lot with like annual garden fruits and vegetables. I usually end up doing fruits because I spray mostly my, my uh, my orchard more than anything else but you can see now we're getting someplace good see it's starting to get like mushy and that's what we really want so it's almost there you really want to make sure everything is covered and then um there's a couple different options of what we can do next so we got apples tomatoes banana blackberry yeah, IMO one through five is fun too. Um, I, I've been, I'm a big advocate of like non-traditional IMO harvesting. Um, uh, despite it being the big thing that like you shouldn't use plastics, like there's a very specific process of harvesting. I've had a lot of luck like going to forests that are like public forests and like scooping up uh, some leaf litter and a little bit of dirt, throwing in a bucket with some rice and then just keeping them separated by cardboard. And um, I've gotten some really good collections that way. So that, that's really fun. And then trying to work with different uh, materials for like making IMO3. 
so there's there's just a lot of stuff you can do and there's not a lot of stuff that's been fully like flushed out about it so i think there's some opportunity for people to figure out and discover new things yeah the cheese i've yet to eat the cheese from making la uh, lab uh but you definitely can and i was just if you guys uh matt did we upload the ffj video yet no we didn't right uh i don't think so yeah so we made some ffj with apples uh and that, that'll probably be out soon and um in the process i start the process of making uh, apple vinegar basically and that i checked on it right before i started recording and it's not quite ready yet uh otherwise i would have brought it up to show it off but that'll be coming soon which is pretty cool stuff uh and yeah lab is great uh it's like like we always talk about like superfoods and that's like an actual like plant superfood. It's pretty cool what it can do. I'm always like amazed when I can just like spray it in like the chicken coop or with the sheep and like it just within a week smells are gone. It's just like, how, how does that work? How's that possible? Yeah, it takes about three to four months. I think we recorded that in November. December, something like that. So it's about two months old, two, three months old. So it's getting close. I just checked. Yeah, we did upload the, um, the like starting to make FFJ. Oh, we did do the Apple one. It's up on the YouTube. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So if you want to check that out, it's up there. Um, but the apple vinegar is still not quite ready. So yeah, now we're, we're where we want to be. It's super nasty. It's like working with mud almost. And um, yeah, that's exactly what we're doing. We're uh, mixing everything together. Basically the goal is to help liquefy the sugar through um, basically having it in full contact with the fruit. And then what we're gonna do is put it in our jar. If you've got like a fancy like canning thing, you know, the like cones that you can put over the jars, that's perfect. Um, I assume most people don't have one, so I didn't want to be like, hey, if you've got this like very specialized thing, uh, this is how you do it. So I'm not going to do it that way. And uh, I'm going to use vinegar as a cleaning agent just to keep things you know, sanitary. So now what we're going to do, once you've got it fully mixed up, and again, you really want it to almost be like the brown sugar is like paste. Like, see if you can uh, see, it's like, it's pretty... Uh, it's like when you make an apple pie and all the, the liquids in the apple pie, you're basically there, maybe a little bit thicker. So then what we're going to do, we're going to put this all in our jar and try not to make too much of a mess. Although you're going to say, why are you telling me that? Because there's no possible way to do this without making a giant mess. So just take our time. Really, might get some of this after all. I think I might have made a little bit too much for this jar.
gonna help it settle a little bit because you really want to get those air bubbles out. Just try to press it down if you can. And there go. I just did, undid all the work I did trying to keep it clean, but it's part of the game. So yeah, it's probably pretty nasty right about now. And you're wondering if you saved enough paper towels because everything's disgusting and I probably didn't grab enough in retrospect as well. So I'm with you on that one. Every time I forget how messy this actually is. So this might be even a little bit overfull. We'll see. See if I can smush it down, get those air bubbles out. really make sure you don't leave any air bubbles if you don't if you can depending on what you're working with you might that might not be an option to really be thorough about it but there we go a lot of the air will start to escape after a while but then you have a better understanding of what you're actually doing here okay wow it actually all fit and is fairly good let's scoop up the rest of this brown sugar Drip that in. I really should have brought some water to wash my hands before I clean. There you go. It's like basically a pumpkin pie in a jar. Uh, so how are we doing out there? Doing good so far? All right, so that should be basically it. Now, let me grab a paper towel. My dog found something must have fallen, so good for her. How are we doing out there? Wet? Good. Part of the process. So I'll clean up the outside later, um, but for the sake of what we're trying to do, actually, you know what? So I'm going to show you how to put a cap on this. I don't usually use caps, but um, for people that are paranoid about an infection in it, they are really nice. So basically a sugar cap is literally what it sounds like. You put a cap of sugar and what happens is it keeps it airtight basically and um, well, it's not airtight, but less accessible for stuff in the air to get in there and infect your uh, what you're working on. So what it is, is literally putting sugar like this, some brown sugar, and then smushing it in on the top, but not letting it do that liquefy so it'll harden up and be a crust. So that's what I'm going to do right here. Um, this is also why I was saying it's not a huge deal to... Um, put too much sugar, you're better off putting too much than not enough. Because like you can do stuff like this and it basically doesn't affect the uh, the production of the, the good stuff that you want. So you're gonna do that, smush it down, don't go crazy about it. You're gonna put, it's like maybe a quarter of an inch. That's all, 
That's all it really is. And I'll show you guys this in a second. And you're just going to tap it all in, make sure it's covering the entire surface. And what you'll do is when all this uh, starts to ferment and all the, the gases start coming out from the fermentation process and you are going to strain it, basically all the sugar didn't do anything to the fermentation process. It was just, again, kind of protecting what you're making from outside influence. So all you have to do now, and we're going to clean this up, is we're going to put a, an elastic or I use the ball jar lids and then put a paper towel under it and tighten them up. You just want something breathable, can be cotton, can be a paper towel, whatever it is that you want, go for it. Um, you're going to put it someplace away from direct sunlight for three to seven days, depending on how warm it is. And um, within a couple days, you'll start seeing the liquid starting to separate. And that's a great sign. Uh, you might get some white mold on the top. White mold is fine. If you start getting other colors, that's when you start getting into questionable territory. There are some ways you can mitigate that risk. Um, one of which is if in like two days you don't see any liquid starting to build up at all, you can add just a little bit of water. And the idea is basically like when you make uh, vinegar from the leftovers, you just want to make sure everything is covered because that gives, uh, that doesn't give like any mold or bacteria a place to grab onto. Um, it's going to dilute your final product. You're going to have to do some, you're going to have to probably add some sugars in again, like a super saturation or something like that. But if you're paranoid about making sure you get something out of this process, uh, that's that's one way to do it. Um, yeah, and it, it does get pretty cool to see. It'll add a little bit of like sweet smell. Um, like it's a slightly, slightly fermented smell. Like super, like for example, like a super ripe banana, how it has that like very unique smell of like ripeness or sweetness. It, it'll build something like that, which is pretty cool to, to see in person. Um, so that's basically the process. And then what'll happen is you'll have in like three to seven days, you'll get to a point where you see the liquid level, like at say day four or five, what you might want to do is take like a, a marker and just mark the level where the water is or the liquid is, and you'll just watch it. And if it stops going up, that means it's done. And all you're going to get from letting it sit longer is continuing the risk of like an infection. And since you don't want that, um, the second you see that in the day, it's not going up anymore, it's time to pull the plug and then you're going to want to drain it out. Obviously I don't have anything right now to drain out and you guys don't either, but it's a really simple process. All you're doing is literally like taking this jar, tipping it upside down over a funnel with like a mesh cloth or something like that. You're not squeezing anything out. You're literally just letting the liquid come out. Give it a couple hours so everything naturally comes out um you don't want to squeeze anything because uh through the osmotic pressure and again you can go check our episode uh abiotic knf where i talk a little bit in more detail about it um there's a very specific reason why stuff is staying in the material and other stuff is coming out and the stuff that's coming out is what you want so hopefully at this point, if you guys wanted to do the cap on your fermented fruit juice, you've done that. If you haven't uh, and you don't want to, that's fine too. I've never actually really done one before. Uh, it, it's a very simple process. I've just 
I don't care that much if it goes bad. I, it is what it is. But, you know, if for you, you're, you're using fruit from your garden or, you know, again, like a pumpkin and you're like, well, we don't grow a lot. I don't want to waste it. I get it. You don't want to waste it. So do what you got to do. Now, we got to clean up a little bit around it. Um, so when you, when you make this stuff and you store it, you can store it at room temperature from like three to six months. Again, keep it out of direct sunlight, just like when you're letting it ferment. Um, you can put it in the fridge. It'll go from six months to a year is usually the shelf life they'll give you. If you super saturate it, which is after you extract this in a week, uh, you can basically add equally brown sugar again. And that basically syrup becomes like jelly without pectin. And that can store, as far as I'm aware, basically indefinitely. I've never done it. Um, I always make very small batches, pretty much. And uh, like this, this is going to be, I will probably get out of this, this much. And you say, oh, well, that's, that's not a lot. Well, again, if you're using a teaspoon a gallon and a gallon can go a long way because you're spraying the leaves or even if you do a gallon super set or gallon like a uh, root, root drench or whatever, you're just dumping a gallon of water on the roots of your plants. I mean, how many teaspoons are in this? Like 200? That, that's going to go a long way, especially with fermented fruit juice versus plant juice. You're only using it um, for like the last three or four weeks of the fruiting cycle. You're not using it for the entire grow season. So basically, if you're making it right now and you're going to use it next fall, unless you're working on like multiple acres, whatever you're making today is probably going to make it before it goes bad. Exactly. Uh, if it, you're basically with the super saturation process, um, storing the biological life, you've basically dehydrated the, everything from it. So it can't do anything. It's suspended. Uh, and that's, that's what we're trying to do. So obviously, because I am not near my sink and I don't want to go to my sink and come back. Well, you know, I'm going to go to my sink and come back. So I will be right back and join my fireplace. All right, so now my hands are clean. Now, if we want to clean this up, what we can do is just use a paper towel and uh, or a rag or whatever you've got. Some vinegar will do enough to clean what we need. And then we just want to wipe everything down. Don't need to go super crazy. We're just cleaning up the brown sugar. Then we're also gonna wanna try to get inside the jar as well.
course, you know, it can be tough. You're not going to get everything. And that's okay. Like, it is what it is. This is a natural process. There's stuff is going to be in the air. It's, you know, the surfaces aren't going to be perfectly sanitary. We're just trying to do the best we can. And of course, I didn't, I used all my paper towels. So I'm going to go grab one more paper towel. So now I've got my, my last paper towel, which is just for my uh, top to let it air out, breathe, all that good stuff. Just do that. There you go. You can just rip it right there. If you want, put your date on it with a marker. And that's pretty much it. Yeah. So, sorry, I'm trying to read the comments. Yeah, so this is a great way to just add stuff back to the soil. Um, especially where there's already life, it's a great way to basically feed it. It's also something that um, you can use that's particularly good if you've got like invasive species. So like if you've got a bunch of invasive fruiting plants that you hate, do this, like break everything down into nutrients that you can feed other stuff. Like I primarily use knotweed. Japanese knotweed as my fermented uh, plant juice because it's a massive invasive here and like there's not a whole lot of uses you can eat the the young sprouts but like if you drive around the roads around here you'll see a row you know on the side of the street hundreds of feet of just Japanese knotweed you're not eating that much unless you change the culture in the country you're not going to eat that much Japanese knotweed so the alternative is you can do stuff like this and I can pick some fresh Japanese knotweed, make some really great fertilizers out of it and help the soils that I want to help. So overripe fruits are fine. Um, yeah, as long as they're not rotten, as long as you don't have any like fungus growing on them, mold, anything like that. Uh, that that's the thing. Again, just like this process, you're trying to um, you're, we're cleaning it because we don't want to have those problems. So if you're introducing fruits that already have those, you can't use them. So that's pretty much it. Now what we're going to do is store this for uh, three to seven days, depending on temperature and um, you know, location, fruit type, and kind of sometimes just like dumb luck. Usually for me, four days, four or five days. Keep it out of direct sunlight. And um, like I said, you'll know because you'll start to see that the liquid isn't changing when it's sitting around. So are you talking about the, um, the leftover fruit or in this case, pumpkin? If you're, um, if you're making like this, you can make a, a vinegar. So basically what that process is, is you can take, um, just let's say this is already strained, you would fill it back up. Um, so however much liquid you took out, you're gonna, you're gonna add double that amount of liquid. So if you took out a say half cup of liquid, you're gonna add one cup of liquid and you're gonna make a pumpkin vinegar. And you can see right here, this is a year old vinegar I made a while back. It's got this beautiful mother. 
let's see can you see it yeah right there just flopping around in there like a pancake and uh yeah that's fresh fruit live vinegar basically um with the sugar cap um so again i don't do a whole lot with the sugar caps i've never needed to um as far as i'm concerned if they get liquefied it's fine um that's just telling you that that osmotic process is happening and it is drawing from that sugar for some reason the the vinegar uh like this uh you could theoretically use it in cooking uh, i know people do and there's like a big advocacy group about like utilizing live vinegars i do have some concerns about the process uh although it seems to be founded in like a very small uh percentage of issues uh, and that depends on again if you're making it correctly uh there can be some pretty nasty byproducts if it's made incorrectly so that's just something to be aware of if you want to make it do a little bit of reading about it if you're planning on consuming it if you're going to use it in your garden uh that's another story um vinegar has a bunch of different uses from again cleaning i use like um beer that's gone bad is basically malt vinegar you can use that again i use uh, brown rice vinegar that i've made you can use uh, red wine that's turned to vinegar you can use that as great vinegar as well obviously those aren't live this is which uh, has its own unique benefits um when you utilize stuff like fermented plant juice and fermented fruit juice what's important to understand is you don't usually use them like as a solo product you're not going to put just a, a teaspoon of um you know pumpkin fermented uh, fruit juice and just spray the garden uh depending on what you're using and when you're using it and why you're using it you're going to use this product with something like water soluble calcium which is something you can also make at home in like half an hour um you would use it with like a seaweed or a seawater like a salt water and you don't have to have the ocean nearby you can make salt water at home you would add vinegar to it um there, there's a number of different things you might be using to um basically make these recipes that are part of knf and together you know you might spend i don't know this is probably like a dollar fifty worth of brown sugar and you've just paid for your fertilizer bill for the you know last third of the gardening year and you can do this again and do it with again those fresh sprouts of the invasive plants that come up early in the spring and again you might spend a couple bucks in brown sugar so like three or four dollars and you've got all of the fertilizer component that you need now if you eat eggs in the morning or if you live near the beach and you can collect seashells great now you've got water soluble calcium um yes you can so when um the the thing is if you use the live vinegar with something like an eggshell um you're probably not going to get much of the benefit of the live vinegar it's still going to be vinegar and it's going to do all the stuff that vinegar has to do uh but it, and it'll have some like micronutrients and things like that but in terms of like the live bacteria and um all that stuff that won't be um that probably won't be helpful um I usually use malt vinegar when I make um, like water soluble calcium. You know, you can make water soluble phosphorus. Um, you, there's a bunch of different stuff. LAB we've talked about so far tonight. Um, th there's 
just a lot of different things that you can utilize. And it, you could spend like 20 bucks and have enough gardening material or fertilizer inputs for like a year, two years. And it'll be better quality than anything that you would get at the store. And what's important to understand when we're using stuff like fermented fruit juices, if you think about it, especially if you're uh, growing or utilizing stuff like, if I'm gonna use this just, just for example, on uh, just a pumpkin patch, I'm not gonna use it with anything else, just a pumpkin patch. This, this fermented fruit juice is gonna have the exact nutrients and the exact ratios with the exact bacteria and fungi and the exact ratios that those plants need. Like there's literally nothing better you could do for a plant than to be like, this has all the things a pumpkin needs to grow, right? Because it grew. Now you're adding that back into the plant or into a new plant. And those plants already have 90, 95, maybe 99% of the nutrients they need. But by providing this, you're filling those gaps perfectly because you're providing everything they need with the right ratios to be able to deliver those um, minerals and nutrients in the with that bacterial and fungi relationship. So that's basically the process and kind of the thought process behind a lot of Korean natural farming. And uh, if, if you're new to this, you haven't listened to the episodes, uh, you can go check out. We have two episodes and we really just touch on the surface and explain the science behind um, these basic premises. Because once you understand how to do this, like I said, fermented plant juice, all you have to do is swap out uh, this for whatever plant you want to use. And it's the exact same thing because it's the chemistry behind it that makes it work. So, uh, let's see, I want to be able to deliver it. Exactly. So you've, you've got a lot of stuff that you can use um, by harvest, especially if you're harvesting stuff from your own garden uh, or a farm nearby that doesn't spray or whatever, because it has those bacteria and fungi relationships on the surface of the plant that wouldn't exist uh, with something that's, you know, at, at a orchard 5,000 miles away and is sprayed with pesticides and all sorts of crap. Um, that doesn't mean if you, that's all you have that's available, that it's necessarily bad. It's just going to be a little bit more limited than uh, something that you grew yourself. So if you wanted to grow sugar snap peas this year, I could go pick up some from the market and target nutrients for that plant. Basically, yeah. Um, obviously, when you're talking about something from the market, if it's um, something that you can uh, get someplace where you know that they haven't been treated heavily, that's great. If not, it's still going to have the nutrients. It's just not going to be, um, it's not going to have the bacteria and fungi and all of that stuff. So it's not going to be quite as productive or helpful. It doesn't mean it won't be helpful. It just won't be as good. So if this is your first year gardening and you don't have access to those things, like go, you know, go with the stuff you can get your hands on. It doesn't matter that it's not perfect. It's better than the alternative. Um, so let's see, this will be up on um, YouTube. All of our Twitch stuff goes to YouTube immediately after. So I was curious to see how many people would show up. I know this is very niche and, um, you know, it, it'd be interesting to see if people thought it was interesting. If you do want to see more of this stuff, I'm happy to do it. Uh, it's fun. It's interesting. I enjoy doing it. And I definitely would like to do more of it. But I wanted to make sure people wanted to see it. 
So we'll probably do something on water-soluble calcium, water-soluble phosphorus. Um, I can do some LAB. I'm just going to end up sending everything to Matt. He's just going to be like, why do I have all these inputs? Um, but yeah, that's pretty much it. So if you guys are uh, watching this, you haven't listened to the podcast, go check it out. We have a really great episode coming out with Farmer Rishi on Sunday. And next week, we're going to be doing some other really great stuff. On Tuesday, we're going to be doing another Twitch with um, Vibe Rider, who is going to talk about uh, patching clothes, resizing clothes, things like that. So that'll be a really cool thing to check out if you're wearing old clothes and you want to make sure they last a little bit longer. You want to have some basic skills. Great resource. <clears throat> Lastly, um, if you don't support us on Patreon and you want to, you know, contribute something to, you know, continue seeing this kind of stuff come out, go check us out on Patreon. It uh, pays our bills. It helps to make it so we have better equipment, more resources available, all that important and good stuff. Um, so hopefully you guys feel like this was fun. You learned a lot. It wasn't scary. It was very accessible. And um, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing you guys on Tuesday and hopefully we'll do some more of this stuff in the future. So if you guys have any questions, let me know now or forever hold your peace. All right, guys, I'll let you go. Have fun and uh, make the make sure you check in on your FPJ and um, tag us if you're making some or you're posting some on your Instagram or Facebook or wherever you're watching this so we can check it out. Thanks, guys. 